You can spend a whole lot of money going to one of them fancy dancy photo camps for a weekend, but they ain't going to give you half as much information as you're going to get from our brothers Matt and Reed. So I'd suggest you mosey on over to patreon.com slash blsf and throw them a few dollars every month for the great stuff they give you and the way it improves your photography. We just can't go wrong. Besides, you could be a member of the Matt Cohen Running Away From Things Club. You never know. That's patreon.com slash blsf. All right, Reed, what's up from this episode? Coming up, it's the 56th episode. News, Matt talks about audio. I talk about like nothing really in particular. Assignment desk was not a bit better. Our new assignment is something that is going to be more achievable. Pledge cues, there's not that many questions because it's my fault. Cross counter, we talk about the greatest. Episode 56 is... Konnichiwa. This is Ryu Voko. Shalom. This is Matt Cohen. Welcome to Big Lens Fast Shutter, where we demystify the world of sports photography. And if you have forgotten it, I know you haven't, and some people you probably have, it is never too late to send a couple of bucks our way. Since this is a 100% user-funded audiovisual entertainment, please go to www.patreon.com slash blfs. And show us how much you love us, because we are here to make you a better sports photographer. News. Here at News, both Ryu and I will tell you our best and worst shoot of the previous month. And we talk about ourselves, because we're egomaniacs. Um, another month on the road shooting rodeo for me. I had uh, an interesting week towards the end of the month where... It rained again. It's rained at basically every rodeo that I've been to. While I was trying to get away from a horse, the horse's hip checked me into a concrete wall and I got a nice little bruise from nice. that. Nice. nice and then nice. the next the next day, uh, while I was still limping around from that, a bull chased me to the top of the fence and I landed on the top of the fence, my ribs, and I cracked a rib, which was fun. Nice. Uh, about five days after that, I was shooting behind the clown barrel, which is, I don't know, maybe 15 yards away from where the bulls are bucking. And these were really young bulls that can be mean and they haven't really figured out where the gate to get out is. And so they kind of spend a lot of time running around the arena looking for, I don't know, something to run into. Well, one of these bulls chased me around the barrel a couple times <laughs> and there's pictures i guess i should probably post them on the site but uh there's pictures of me running away from a bull the bull is inches away from me and i'm you know carrying my camera and laughing my ass off for some unknown reason so does that so, mean like at some point like because this has happened to you quite a lot these days and you know, like you're getting chased by this and chased by that I mean, this like, one was way closer yeah so that means like i don't know like maybe like next year probably die no, 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 wait. You'll get stomped by it. Like, you'll actually get, like, a, you'll get, like, stomped by it, and you'll survive, and you go, like, in a hospital for a couple of months, and you come back, and it happens again. At some point, then you die, right? 
I the pro, the progression that we're on would suggest that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so anyway, yeah, no bad shoots, just uh, a lot of traveling, a lot of rain and dirt and mud. What else? Oh yeah. So I've been shooting the D5s for about two months. And this last weekend, I finally got the autofocus to fail for the first time, which is really something when you think about, you know, technology and where we are. Autofocus is still a hard problem to solve, but I think they've really done it here. Um, what, failed? So like what failed? Like Failed like I missed a picture for, you know, reasons that the, the only pictures that I've missed because of autofocus so far have been when somebody ran, you know, an official or a bullfighter or something like that ran yeah. in front of me and stole the focus. This was a bronc ride where the horse jumped about 12 feet in the air and bucked the rider off at the top. And there was some pretty good separation between the rider and the horse and the autofocus went through the space in between them all the way to the back. Uh, so the horse and the rider were completely out of focus and the back was in focus. That's the okay. first time that it happened in two months. Usually you can't get that autofocus to fail in that way, but it did. Mm. Um, so after two months and I don't know, maybe 20,000 pictures or something like that, I would say that's, that's a pretty good track record so far. That's not bad, huh? No. Yeah, I can't wait to start using it as well, but I need to do... Um... I'm gonna go to Japan and get all my stuff because otherwise it'd be too expensive, you know. I've kind of been looking at like what I've done in May, and I think I already talked about my displeasure with Leicester City. That means like, okay, so I guess I can talk about like a bit in a few because there's nothing really to talk about. Like I took, yes, I'm very angry that I'm not the Euro right now because I, I don't know what else I'm, I'm supposed to basically prove to them that I can basically get into these tournaments. I can go to your World Cup, but I can't go to the Euro. I can't go to the Champions League final, but I can probably go to Little League World Series or something if I really wanted to. But anyway, that's not really a good comparison. I've done some national team stuff. So I've been to Manchester and then I've been to London to shoot the England team. The bad shoot, I have to say, is that I had, I had went to Sweden. This is the bad one. I went to Sweden. I wanted to shoot, you know, Zlatan because he's going to be, it was a, uh, it was a basically international friendly match just before the Euro starts because, you know, they want to kind of play together and see, maybe, you know, whatever works for them. It doesn't work. It was in Malmo and I went there and then Zlatan didn't, um, yeah, he didn't play. And then the match after that, that was England versus Portugal in London in Wembley. I went there hoping that uh, Ronaldo will play. But Ronaldo played in the Champions League final, which was like a couple of days before that. He wasn't there. So it's kind of like, well, I kind of like wasted my time and money going to these places. But these things do happen. I think we do have we do have to like at some point talk about like if you're going for a specific athlete or a specific, I guess not team because this team is going to be there, a specific athlete and that person doesn't show up, like how do you kind of reset your brain and go about your day? Because that was the most important thing you were supposed to take that day and that person's not there for whatever reason it is and hopefully we have a much more exciting uh june uh matt will be shooting a lot more rodeo and i will be shooting no football or no sports actually not until july that sucks what, what am i gonna do in june i have nothing to do all right well, anyway that's nothing to do with it's already it. half anyway. over i know thank god all right so that is news and we will see you back when we go to masterclass mm-hmm. 
Critical Beatdown is a service that we have here at BLFS. What we do is that take 15 of your best pictures and we talk about it on video on YouTube good hours just gonna really thoroughly go through your entire portfolio so 15 you know really good stuff that you you think is good stuff and there's some gems there you know? maybe one or two we then basically give you advices and basically overall how the portfolio is what you can do in the future what you shouldn't do which picture you should keep which one you should not which one you can improve on and so forth so forth, so forth. So that is $100 and you can contact us via um, the BLFS uh, webpage that will be biglensfastshutter.com or you can go through us via Flickr or Facebook group page. Um, both of them you can basically choose to uh, search for Big Lens Fast Shutter you'll be able to find us and email, email us then you can you know kind of start and um, you know find out what you can what we can do for you. In Masterclass, we pick a topic in sports photography and we serve it on a plate to your ears. You got something to say? Tell us at biglensfastshutter.com. Yes. So, Masterclass topic, we are not going to do the same thing we did last month. As um, torturing you is not a lot of fun. So, Matt, what are we doing for this month? So, we're going to try and get out of eye-level stuff. Um, there's just too much of it. We just... Yeah. We look at the pictures coming in the pool and we see a lot of pictures that look very similar and it's mostly because people are really shooting it very conventionally. They they look at where they can shoot from, they go right up there and it's either what sitting on a stool or knees or standing up, God forbid. You need you need to figure out ways to differentiate yourself and one of the ways to do that is to shoot from different places and to get different angles of what we're shooting. And I just, I think that people get too caught up in the content of the picture, a star player, a crazy play, their kid. Uh, these things are, well, you know, if you're a parent or whatever, or, an uncle or something like that. And, you know, it, you get caught up in what it is that's in the picture. Whereas editors, most importantly, but also like other sports photographers will look at that picture and be like, well, <laughs> all right, but this picture could have been a thousand percent better if, and that if many, 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 many times has to do with where you were shooting and the angle that you're shooting at. And we've We've kind of covered this before in several different incarnations, but never as assignment desk. But what you don't want is the TV camera view. The TV camera view, the one that they use most of the time, is really safe. You know, it's either at eye level next to the glass at a hockey game or up in the stands or up in the top level if it's football, really far away, center field camera, shooting a batter. These are pictures that people have been trained to understand and to see. And if you show them something that they see on TV, if you show them baseball in a way that they've seen on TV their whole entire lives, yeah, they might look at it and say, oh, yeah, that's A-Rod or, you know, that's Mike Trout or something like that. But it's not going to jump out at them as, wow, that's an amazing picture. It's just going to be that's a picture of some guy that I know or that's a picture of my next door neighbor's little kid. 
you have to break out of that and shoot in ways angles and lenses and things like that that the tv cameras aren't using because otherwise it's just going to all look the same and it's it's just going to be basically a still from the video of the game the first advice that we give people or the first advice that most people will give to people is oh yeah we got to get lower and you have to kneel down or sit down or something like that and that's better than standing up and shooting at eye level because that's what everybody's used to seeing but that's not enough like the difference between standing up and being on your knees is i don't know how much a foot or two feet or something like that it's not really that much of a difference and sitting down is only six more inches than that what what are we talking about i'm talking about actually laying down you know i want blades of grass covering the bottom of the frame that's what we're talking about like you really have to commit to this and it might not be comfortable and it might be really dirty i've laid down in mud a couple times so far this year and it's not fun it's not comfortable but you're still going to be out there right it's still you know you've decided or somebody else has decided for you that you're going to be shooting this you're there anyway it's not like you're sitting at home saying oh should i go out and shoot no i don't want to lay in the dirt or whatever you're there you're already there it's already the, the battle's already been been fought you're just are you going to come out of this with interesting pictures or are you not so that's what i want to see super low there's some places where you can get really high. You know, if you have a longer lens, you can go up, um, you know, to where the TV cameras are, or you can shoot from some places you can shoot from where the announcers are. Like my, one of my favorite things to do shooting rodeos is shoot the bull riding from the announcer stand. So you're almost literally right above it. These are pictures that people don't get to see really all that often. Like I can only even do it at one rodeo anymore. There's just very few people doing it. I can't even, I'm one of those people and I can't do it very often. So I try to take advantage of that when I can. There are lots of different variations that you can use. Low and high, you know, inching up the sideline where you would ordinarily shoot on the baseline. If you have, you don't want to shoot a wide angle lens and try to get action from the crowd. But if you do have a 400 or something like that, you can definitely do that use the light, use the surroundings, try to get a good background, do all the things that we talk about anyway, but add to it a more extreme angle than standing, kneeling, or sitting. I mean, I don't really have that much to add, just um, how you want to kind of approach this whole thing. So just think ahead before you even probably go to the um, the sports venue, if you're going to go shoot basketball or you're going to shoot baseball or boxing or football or whatever just think like before you go like okay how am i gonna you know tackle this whole situation like how am i gonna get these angles so if you want to go up to the the top of the um the you know the rafters or to the stands like think how you can actually get there like because sometimes even if you have your accreditation you cannot go into the stands you have to ask the people who are there and say okay can i get there like where can this pass actually get me uh to Going basically like low is very easy, you know, in a way they don't really need like much access, but you need to be thinking like, how am I going to focus when the angle is extremely low because you cannot look through a viewfinder. So you got to think about, like, okay, what can I do? How am I going to actually do this? Am I going to set the focus somewhere? Just hope that the, the players will pass through that area of focus that you already have the focus set and you'll get over there. Or can you fo can you focus without looking through the viewfinder? These kind of things you're going to have to be thinking about. So good luck. Um, hope you have a great time because I think it's an interesting challenge, answering assignment. Hopefully it will be better than what you've done the past two months. Have fun. 
We give you an assignment and you show us if you've been listening. Don't doze off and show us that you've been an attentive student or a bad one. The assignment was wide and close. So you have a wide angle lens and you basically have to physically get close to your subject. So you can basically like see like, you know, as much detail as possible. Do you think people like have really just difficulty trying to get close like they, they're a bit afraid. I, I absolutely think that it, I can't. This was the the biggest stumbling block for me when I started shooting seriously was putting on a wide lens and getting close. And it's I think it comes from you think wide angle and you think mountains and lakes and stuff like that. But that's not what we do. You know, what do we do? We shoot pictures of people playing sports, celebrating sports, whatever. And when you have a wide lens you need to make them dominant in the frame you need to get something interesting and it doesn't necessarily have to be an action picture it can be a celebration picture i don't mind tom's champagne thing that's a nice moment i think that there's a couple things that he maybe did wrong and then there's a couple things where he just got screwed because of the people in the background moments like this you really have to go on instinct and you have to be prepared for the more you do them, the more you'll be prepared for the next ones because you'll be able to kind of feel the dynamic. That hand is close, but the rest of it isn't close. And when we say close, we mean close. Like you don't have to touch them with the lens, but closer than this, less background than this, more subject dominance than this. You know, the rest of them, you know, a guy talking in a microphone. Yeah, I get it. The rodeo announcer is part of it, but this isn't a sports picture. So that's not really what we're talking about. Kevin's is good. I, I think it's probably the best one of these. He's combining wide and close and an interesting angle. He got some good faces in there. He gets a little bit screwed by the lighting, but, you know, that's that's certainly the best picture out of this group. The rest of them just... It's just, you it's know, kind of missing, uh, like it really is like kind of not really kind of you're missing the point. The point is to basically physically get as close as possible to the subject and then use a wide angle lens to shoot. That's what the whole point was. It's very simple. But like Matt said, it's just you're just shooting a wide angle lens with wide angle things and now you're not anywhere close to the main subject. What I've said about a million times is where you differentiate yourself are in situations like this. When you're on the sideline and you're lined up with 30 other guys at a American football game or a regular football game, your 400 shot of a certain play is going to look really, really similar to everybody else's within 15 yards of you or something. The background's going to be the same. The exposure is going to be more or less the same. It's just all going to look the same. And where you can differentiate yourself is in a situation where you have way more control over the composition of the picture because you're close and it's wide. And so Every inch that you move up or down, left or right, closer or further is going to make a big difference in the composition of those photos. But the thing is that the bar is higher on all of those because you have so much more control over it. Mike shoots auto racing and yeah, there's very few times where an auto racing action picture is going to be able to be both wide and close at the same time because of safety. But it doesn't mean that we're going to say, okay, your shitty picture is better because you did what we told you to do. No, you need to get in the pits and shoot them working on the cars and shoot the driver getting in and wedging himself in there. There are a million other things you can do other than putting yourself at danger to get a picture. 
more thought needs to go in these pictures. It's not just target practice. It's not just sitting back with a 400 and shooting the ball. It's deciding what the background is going to be or how you can minimize the background and then figuring out how you want to arrange everything in the frame. I'm looking at this one in the beach and yeah, he says I should probably try to get closer. Yeah, you think? You know, this is like... You totally can't get closer as well. Like, it's not like... (laughs) I mean, what I don't understand is try to get as close as possible, like with anything that I shoot, because that's the whole point. The, the rule me. is the rule, as it was explained to me, is get all the way in there. I'm talking about within, you know, a hand's length of whatever you're shooting and then back up if you have to. If, if you're shooting from far away and maybe tippy toeing in or something like that, you're going to get a picture and then you're going to say, oh, yeah, well, this is closer than the one where I was three feet back or something like that. And you're going to think, oh, OK, you're never going to go in far enough because you're just going to be satisfied with what you were getting before. But if you go all the way in and it's too close and then you back up six inches or something like that, you'll probably find it in there. And if you keep having to back up, then you keep having to back up, but you're still going to be closer than if you started out really far away and inched your way in. So let's use that as a rule. The bar is different. Mike can't get all that close to these cars because his life would be in danger. But if you're shooting two dudes messing around on a beach, it's easy. The sky's the limit. Like I don't yeah. I don't want to see all this other stuff. I want to see individual grains of sand flying around, you know, these guys' facial expressions or, you know, them getting ready to fall on you or something like that. Like being five feet away from something like this is unforgivable, really. We're not gonna ask you to do this again for the time being because Well, we are we're gonna ask you to continue doing it. It's just not gonna be what the assignment does is but when we talk about variety and we look at people's pictures in critical beatdown and it's the last one that we did with nin was kind of the chief example of this you need to have the variety in there you can't have people looking at this and saying this is 15 different copies of the same picture this is a really really easy way to make a picture look very very much different than all the other ones that are in your portfolio you have to keep doing this because only through doing this are you going to realize where the sweet spot of the lens is and be able to read the situation and the light and then actually be in there composing in real time in a dynamic situation. It's not easy. It's definitely not easy, but you have to keep doing it so that you'll know what to do when you're in a high stakes kind of situation where you need that picture. Little scrapes here and there, bumps here and there. Come on. You gotta risk a bit more than this. And don't be afraid. Like, the thing is, the athletes will notice you're very, very close to them. But once you take the picture, then you just get away from the situation. That's it. That's all you gotta do. Take, you know, like it's like um, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee type of thing, you know? You just have to go in there, do it, and get out of it. That's it. And it's all do- jobs done. They won't even, they wouldn't even maybe know that you were there. But you got the picture because you're, you know, you're really in there. They might have noticed you for a split second, but you're out of there. You're, it's done. That will be it for assignment desk. If you came here looking for information on Training Ground, you are out of luck. We moved it to YouTube and therefore you'll get to see rewards and punishments on video. Go to youtube.com and search for Big Lens Fast Shutter for separate words. Did we make a difference in your life? Go to patreon.com slash BLFS and pledge for us or to us or towards us or whatever you want. We will make you a happy sports photographer. Pledge cue.
what we do is for people who have pledged for us via patreon.com slash blfs ten dollars or more you get to ask us questions every month we have two questions um obviously you can ask your questions um more of those uh for next month because you know we'll be open for business and we will ask you we'll answer all these fantastic questions we will add one more at the end because we have a bit of a you know gear stuff gear questions that you had on the Flickr group page and we want to kind of add our take on the whole situation so let's start with tom he asks when shooting after match celebration photos with a wide angle lens is it a good idea to use aperture priority flash and auto white balance daytime game where you can go to shade understand to bright sunshine so basically he's asking changing lights if you want to do everything automatic i have a big problem with this in most football like soccer in in europe is is played in the evening so the pitch itself is quite lit but when the players come towards you the photographer so it's like right next to the goal obviously there's a massive drop off of light because you know that part of the pitch is not lit what to do because if i usually have everything set on manual because um there's so many things that go on in the stadium that uh, the whole you know the, the exposure it's the direction of the light like if you're out in the middle of the field the light is bouncing right off of you and towards everybody else but if, the more you get towards where you're actually shooting from the light is bouncing off of your back towards the people who are in the grandstands they, they don't light most of those pitches from behind the goals they light them on the sides and some of it spills off and bounces towards you but not very much so there's a pretty yeah. big drop off that's i think what you were trying to say no because the thing is that we have the electronic advertising thing now which really with the exposure so that's why i started taking everything manual these days because yeah when the players come towards me i've kind of made it to put it on shutter speed priority because the worst is that it's all blurry that's i i figured out like a couple like after like a couple years i realized oh you know what the worst is that everything is all blurry because like my you know shutter speed is like 60 60th of a second or something when the players are really in my face and they're celebrating having a good time so i put it on thousand and then i put like as like i put it quite high up on like 3200 or 6400 just to make sure that i get everything in focus and and whatnot but if you want like this i'm talking about like so this is a, i'm assuming that you have two bodies and two lenses like the, the big body with a big lens i keep it at manual and i just shoot whatever i have to shoot but as for basically celebration and anything like short range stuff i may i put it on shutter speeds like eight hundredths of a second or thousands of a second and then just make sure that the um, ISO is high enough so that if the players even like jump the fence and come over and even go even to the, the even darker side of the stadium, I'll have enough light to be able to shoot everything. If they're, they're just living right in front of you and you have, there is enough light and if it's like, you know, whatever, F8 or F, you know, 10 or whatever, not much of celebration between that and the background, but the background should be far enough that it will be enough that it will not bother me too much i think it was, i say it's okay it's not gonna bother me that much i don't think that that's what the question was though wasn't it he's not he's not talking about the celebration like after a goal i think he's talking about the celebration on the field after the game no it's the same thing because you go to the shade and to the bright sunshine thing well it's, it's basically difference in in light no like we're gonna be it's a little bit different because when you're shooting the game i'm guessing that you're probably not going to use the flash because you still might be shooting action with the wider lens like if you know if somebody is uh running along the 
corner or something like that, or, you know, charging the goal on the end line, you don't want flash for that. You're still going to kind of shoot that as it was regular game action. But if you, you know, if the clock is ticking down and it's a big match or something like that, and it's 2-0 with a minute to go or something like that, then you're, you know, you're setting up your wide camera for whatever the celebration is. And I think he's asking what the settings are for, going out into the field after and just using his wide and close entry as the cue for that, right? I think it's basically, it's just a, like, I understood the question asked, how are you going to basically deal with, is it two questions or just one question? Well, I think it's one question, but I think you're assuming that it's in-game celebration and I'm assuming based on his latest picture that it's the after the game. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I'm right. But anyway, we, we probably answered it both ways. I don't know. I can't even tell you how many people ask me what my settings are on shots. And it's it's not that it's not that it's a secret. It's just that that's what photography is. Like that's the essence of what it is. It's figuring out how to maximize the kind of picture that you're taking and not get screwed. You know, like Ryu was talking about, you want to have enough light so that even if they're facing away from the light, then it's enough and you want the shutter speed to be high enough so that it's not going to be blurry. There's nothing that I can tell you now that's going to help you in every kind of situation in the way that knowing what the parameters are while you're in the moment or how much more that's going to help you than any settings advice that I can give you now. What are the parameters? What is the light like? What direction is it coming from? Are the people going to be moving really fast or not moving really fast? And then you just go from there. You know, it's all it's all just an equation of light shutter speed and ISO and so figure out how to set your camera up I don't care what mode you have it on so that you don't end up screwing yourself on either light you know basically in this situation it's having enough light and stopping the the motion so that it's not blurry you know it's not there's not like really any kind of magic involved it's just knowing what the situation is like do you need a thousandth uh no you probably don't if there's just you know people jumping up and down with a trophy or spilling champagne on themselves or whatever it's nice but you Mm. don't need a thousandth to to get that um can you get away with 500th yeah can you get away with an 800th yes i'm pretty sure that you can you know do you want to take the time to put a flash on there and you know on the camera i try not to do that because on camera flash looks shitty almost no matter what you do especially if there's no roof to bounce it off of so you know i wouldn't do that but i would keep all those other parameters where the light's coming from and you know are you gonna have enough iso to get a thousandth or 800th or something you know in there for your shutter speed like those are the things that you should be thinking of as the clock is ticking down and as you're putting your wide angle lens on and as you're you know thinking okay well i need to get from here to the visiting team's bench and you know those are the you have to get comfortable with judging the situation and figuring out what's the problem like are are their faces going to be in the shadow when the the light is bouncing off of a whiteboard in the background, yeah, then that's going to be a problem. And you're going to want to shoot from the other way and use the whiteboard. There's no list of things that I can tell you to do. It's just you're going to have to kind of judge judge the situation and figure out what factors can screw you if you don't account for them. Yeah, it's a very fluid thing. So just it's going to like, you know, live and learn, shoot and learn and just have to basically be on alert all the time. When situations change, you need to change your setting of your camera. Slim Shodi asks, 
Is it possible for one to make a sustainable income from just shooting sports? Are on-spec wire agencies a waste of time? If you're just starting out, probably no. On-spec wire agencies, waste of time. If you have to spend a lot of money to actually get to wherever you have to go, like it's going to come out of your uh, pocket, and yeah, it will be a waste of time. Yeah, I tend to agree with both of those. Um, I shoot a little bit for wires. I, I don't travel to go and do that. Like if it's local to me and it's something that I'm going to get really good pictures out of and be able to make a couple dollars here or there, yeah, then I'll do it. But I'm not going to invest a ton of time or money. I'm not going to shoot 40 baseball games a year. I've mentioned this a few times and I I guess I keep forgetting to actually take a picture of it or scan it or something like that. But, you know, I get statements (laughs) once a quarter or something like that that say what I get. And, you know, if you get like a big print placement or something like that, it'll be a few hundred dollars or something. But if you get like a picture that's only used on the web or something like that, you can measure how much your cut of that is going to be in the less than a dime category. It's not especially worth it if you're if you're trying to make a profit on that. If you're trying to build up your reputation and your portfolio and make some contacts and you know kind of move up the chain a little bit, then yes, it's it's worth it uh, for those reasons. Can you make a living from shooting sports? That's how I make my living. I don't shoot significantly. I don't shoot anything else. And if I didn't shoot those other things, I would still be able to make my living doing it. I think that as much as anything else, the fact that I have a career and an income from this is luck. You know, I didn't train my whole life to be a rodeo photographer or a sports photographer. I definitely, I fell into to it. I fell into clients noticing my pictures on Facebook or something like that and wanting to hire me for more and more things. Is that replicable? Uh, harder and harder. It's just harder and harder to do it. If you're asking us, should you abandon everything else and pursue a career in sports photography at this point, the answer to that is absolutely not. If you have something going that can you know, pay your bills and subsidize your life while you're trying to build a photography business into something that you can do full time, then yeah, I think you can still, you can still, you know, kind of dip your feet into, into the pool a little bit, but no, you you don't want to quit your job and buy $50,000 worth of gear and throw all your chances on making a living solely from sports photography. No, Um, no, it's just fine. You know, like, It's one of those things that it's not a, I know like back in the days, like people like the veterans have told me when they were still shooting film and everything, they were making a lot of money, like really a lot. Oh yeah. Like tons of money because there weren't that many sports photographers out there. And these photos were very valuable because, um, it's, it wasn't, you know, there just, there weren't that many of them. You know, you didn't have good sports photographers at every game you know so or you certainly didn't have multiple ones at every game but now it's you know like i'll go to shoot a football game and let's say there are you know if it's like a nfl game or a big college game or whatever let's say there's 30 credentialed photographers there there's at least 10 of them that are really good you know the papers all send a guy and the AP and Getty, uh, USA Today, um, you know, and then a couple others, you know, those are all very credible sports photographers. And the idea that any one of them is going to get any picture that's both way better and way more important than anybody else, it's not happening. 
you know, everybody's going to basically get the same things here or there. Like some of them are significantly better than the other ones and they may, may get better pictures, but are those pictures going to be significantly more valuable in that some newspaper or magazine or something like that is going to say, okay, well, we send somebody there, but we're not going to use those pictures and, you know, we're going to um, pay more money to use this other guy's pictures. Like I used to get really depressed when I would go to like a big Stanford game when Andrew Luck was still there and see uh, Peter Reed Miller or John McDonough or whatever, because you know for a fact that none of your pictures are going to Sports Illustrated at that point. Because Sports Illustrated is not, you know, they, they already have really good photographers there. John McDonough and Peter Reed Miller, two of the best to ever do it. And yeah, I there were definitely games where I had better top end pictures than those guys had because maybe they were focusing on one player for a feature or something like that. And I was just shooting the whole game and I had, you know, crazy celebration pictures or a great touchdown that they didn't have or whatever. But I just knew that those pictures weren't going to run because Sports Illustrated was already paying those guys salaries. And so why, why on earth would they turn down pictures that they already owned to buy pictures that they had to pay actual money for it's not going to happen so the the scarcity isn't there anymore you know we, and we've been over this like how many pictures of jeff gordon are there out there there are millions literally millions of pictures of them so any one that you have is not going to be very valuable because they're just going to keep looking until they find one that's either free or very close to free with more and more people shooting the price of each of those pictures goes down and the the chance of anybody making a living shooting like that is just very small so if you're trying to shoot you know, editorially for a, a newspaper or one of the big wires or a magazine or something like that. Yeah, you know, those places still have people on staff who are, you know, by definition, making their living doing that. But if you're trying to cobble together shooting events or something like that on spec or whatever is absolutely not going to happen like that. So the extra question, like I'm going to make a quite short one is... There are people who are wondering whether you should buy 302.8 or 300 f4. Uh, one's very expensive and the other one not so. Like it's, you know, it's more affordable to the regular human beings that are out there. My take on the whole thing is that I think like from what I heard, the 300 f4, at least for the Nikon one, is very, 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 very good. And I think we are entering the era of the F4. And I think it's going to be enough for most people to be able to actually shoot F4. You know, the thing is, it's so expensive. The 2.8 it's the 3, 2.8 is very, very, very expensive. So it's whether you want to put that much money into it. That really has to be the, the biggest thing. I think the F4 has opened up a lot of doors. And especially the 7200 F4, which I, which I actually use for Nikon. 200 F4, which I really like to use because I heard it's really, really good. To me, I think it's it's 2.8 might be a bit of overkill, obviously for not for spec wise, but obviously for money. So that's my take on that one. Yeah, I, I look at this question a little bit more broadly in that there's always a cheaper choice and you're always making some kind of trade off. And we can't really make that choice for you. All I can really say is I, I don't have any lenses that aren't at least 2.8. And I try to shoot more and more with the ones that are faster than that. It's very hard for me to tell somebody else to spend the kind of money that it takes. Um, I just got a new 300 2.8 for some of the places where my 400 is too long. You know, I really like it. It's heavy as shit. And it's annoying to carry around. It's really annoying to handhold. But there's no substitute when you need that extra stop. And it's not even a light anymore. It's really not a light because the cameras are good enough that if there's enough light to see, there's enough light to shoot. 
it's really the ability, that extra stop of blurring out the background. If you're trying to get the best pictures you can, you need it. That's, that's just it. And there are all kinds of trade-offs. And can you get pictures that are good enough? Can you, if you're an amateur, make pictures that make you happy and make the other people who are looking at the pictures happy? Then yeah, I would say go ahead and get the, the 300 f4 because it's a good lens. It's just you're giving up the ability to blur out the background in a lot of situations. And for me, I can't afford that. I can't, you know, I have to I have to have the 2.8 or faster. There's no question about it. But yeah, you're not, I mean, even if you were trying to go pro or whatever, the difference in those lenses, I think is probably $5,000 or something close to that. How long would it take you to make that kind of money back? Probably not going to happen at all. So um, I'm not going to jump up and down if you buy a, a 400 or a 300 F4. You know, what we're doing is trying to put you in a position where you can make the best pictures possible. And there are going to be situations where the pictures from that lens are going to be appreciably worse than ones from a 300 2.8. So you have to figure out if you can live with that. I know I can't, but you know, if you're an amateur, you probably can. Yeah. But the thing is like the 300 F4 for Nikon, the new one is apparently very, 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 very good. Like a lot of sports photographers use it now. I'm sure it is. Yeah. So I'm talking, we're talking about the, the image quality itself, how crisp the picture is. And um, I'm sure you cannot tell. Like the thing is like what I honestly think with the image quality thing, because I think if you're using a really shitty lens, you can probably tell. But 304 is not a cheap lens by all means. It's a high. It's not. It's just you're going to have what? An extra few feet of depth of field that you wouldn't have if it was the 300 2.8 it's a 2.8 nobody's debating you know that there are advantages i'm just saying that if you're trying to get the best picture possible there are a lot of places where the background is very close or the people or the the players in the background are very close and you can't saying i'm going to have all that stuff in focus and we look at these pictures in training ground and we say you're shooting at too high of an aperture, we're shooting sports, mm -hmm. you need to be a 2.8, and then, you know, we can't unqualified say, go ahead and get the 300 F4, because we talk about depth of field all the time, and how you want, you know, the subject of the picture to be in focus, and all yeah. the rest of it to be out of focus, you're giving up several feet of things that are in focus. That may not be important to you, depending on what you're shooting. It might not be important at all. If you're shooting, like, auto racing or something like that on a big track, and all there is is track or something like that, then, you know, F4 is fine for that. But if you're shooting, you know, team sports where the players might all be clumped up or something like that, then the person who has the ball is going to be in the exact same focus as the people who are four feet behind them or something like that. It's not going to be as good a picture. It's just not. But, you know, can 95% of the people in the world tell? No. I think that's the case, though. 300 F4 isn't cheap. So, you know... If they were giving them away or something like that, then you say, okay, well, I can live with all this other stuff, but you're still spending, you know, what is it, 1500 or something like that? I'm just guessing. I have no idea. Spending four figures on, you know, on a lens that isn't going to be able to do everything that a sports lens. I just kind of think that like 2.8, it really is very, very, very expensive. So if you want to like have a kind of lower end of like you want to get into sports photography thing i really will wholeheartedly recommend the f4 series because i've been i mean the thing is like you said all the thing about if the background or whatever you actually want to focus or whatever you actually don't you don't want to focus not right next to you which is not a lot of times which i figured out after like well a year of using the, uh, the f4 for 7200 
So for in most applications, it's absolutely, 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 absolutely fine. And I, I honestly think it's a very, very good thing. It's not everybody can basically afford a 2.8 for all the lenses, Matt. You no, just can't. absolutely not. Right. So I think, like I said, I mean, 7200 7, 7, F4 that I use for Nikon right now, it's a very good lens. And it's just absolutely, absolutely fine in most applications. Would I use a 2.8? I At this juncture, I probably wouldn't because I just kind of tell myself, like, what am I? What can I not do with this lens? And there's not that many. And for that, I don't know, I'd rather I save money and then go buy another lens that I need, you know, like a prime lens or something. And if it goes higher, basically like, you know, 302.8 or 304 the difference is massive. It's like a couple thousand dollars. If I get that lens... It's probably four times. The, the, the F4 is probably... Or the 2.8 is probably four times as much as the yeah. F4. So we can't make that decision for you. But nobody here certainly is going to say you didn't do the right thing or something like that. But it is something to keep in mind. Like there are limits to that and you are still spending a lot of money. Like whatever it is, $1,500 or something like that is more than most people spend on anything photo related. So you're, I wouldn't call it a no man's land, but you know, it's the same idea. Like you're still spending a lot of money and you're not getting... 2.8 that that would that would concern me one way or the other it's fine you can still make awesome pictures with it you just have to be aware of the limitations but i think like if you can try do the rental thing and see if um that's gonna actually work for you as well yeah but it's one of those things that it will there'll be more and more in the future because of the fact that iso is getting better and better each and every iteration of all these like professional grade um camera that's totally true because five years ago we would be having a conversation about how most of the places that you were going no. to you couldn't use an f4 for a really long time i've debated getting a 200 to 400 f4 which is you know still really expensive and i didn't do it because a lot of the places that i shot i couldn't get away with f4 at all no. and now that's not true i could you know i don't have one i got a 300 2.8 instead but you could if you wanted to shoot a 200 400 f4 or a 300 f4 and be fine because of the iso gains so it's an ever-changing kind of landscape of like iso and then the f-stop and uh, maybe in the future you're going to be able to blur out the background you know like in camera or something you know what i mean so it looks like f2.8 but it's actually f4 i mean you never, never know at this point now because so many things you can do just like the lightro thing you know they can like focus on things and yeah that's crazy you know you can blur out the background of photoshop if you really wanted to but i'm not recommending that yeah it could be like an in-camera thing that's it for uh listener cues and we'll talk more about these kind of um gear stuff because i'm gonna sure that's i'm sure that's gonna be one of those topics always always comes out because the fact that this you know sports coffee a lot has a lot to do with gears so please ask away and i really do apologize for um this petition this particular um listener cues not being you know set out there on the Flickr group page early enough for you to ask questions so we'll be asking we'll be hoping for more questions for next month's podcast If you're listening to this on iTunes, thank Apple and then rate us. The higher we are rated, the more popular we are. And one day, we might be featured as a top sports photography podcast. That's it. I think we only say bad things about sports photography. You say we got no soul? Hell no. We're going to prove you wrong with... Muhammad Ali. Time to hold your fellow sports photographer's hands as we tell you why a specific sports photograph makes us quiver with joy. So Muhammad Ali died 
last week, other than being absolutely the greatest and probably the most famous person in the world for 20 years or something like that, which is really insane, he was really very photogenic, and that probably tied into why he was so popular. Mm. ESPN has posted a bunch of, what are they calling them, hidden uh, the greatest, the greatest you've never yeah, seen. Yeah, the greatest photos you've never seen. So we're all familiar with the one of him standing over Liston. We spent, I don't know, half an episode, I think, in one of the first cross counters talking about the the Neil Leifer picture from over top of him uh, celebrating while another guy was completely knocked out and, you know, probably my favorite sports photo ever. So we're not going to talk about those because we've, we've already talked about them. These pictures I thought were good in a way that would relate to the people that listen because a lot of them are outside the ring and they're either him training or their portraits or they're him out on the town or something like that. If you look at the one, he's in uh, Nevada and he is shadow boxing on a road and there's snow all over the place. And what I was thinking is that there are ways, you know, boxing is dying, but there's still lots of boxers and, they're boxers in every town. And if you, I'm pretty sure that if you got your camera out and followed them out on a workout in the middle of nowhere, when it was really cold or whatever, that you could eventually a get a lot of really good pictures and b probably get a lot better access even during the actual fights. So maybe that's something to think about. The, the one I want to pick is not really a sports picture at all, except for the fact that there are gloves and a speed bag in it, but it's uh, Muhammad Ali is wearing like either a, oh, that guy's like a porter. He's like a luggage handler or something like that. And Muhammad Ali put this guy's hat on and he's holding the poster for his fight with Doug Jones, who I've never heard of. And he's got a really great expression on his face and he's pointing at the poster, which is an old school kind of boxing poster, which you'll know right when you see it. And then, like I said before, his bag is in the front of the frame and his Gloves are tied to it and there's a speed bag in one of his boots. These are the kind of pictures that you, this is not a sports action picture. This is outside of the ring. He's not wearing any kind of uniform. You don't need any kind of really special access. I think this was probably just taken like outside of a hotel or something like that. Like he's getting ready to check in a hotel. This guy's helping him with his bag and Muhammad Ali being Muhammad Ali puts his hat on and they're, they're both looking at the poster. These are the kind of pictures you don't need a whole lot of gear to get. You don't need a whole lot of access to get. You don't need to be a professional to get. I think this is instructive. Muhammad Ali, to me, was a man who had Parkinson's because, like, whatever happened to Muhammad Ali, basically in his heydays as a fighter, as a boxer, was pretty much done by the time I was, you know, a fully-fledged human being. So I understand this humanitarian side and everything. Like, that's that's nice and everything. But obviously going, like, looking through all the old pictures of Muhammad Ali, like, it's one of those athletes that I wish I, I, I could have actually taken pictures um, in his prime. He was just f- fantastic athlete. Like I want, I wish all athletes would be more expressive and interesting as he is on the ring, especially off, yes, but especially on the ring. And he was just great. I don't really have anything specific because like I, I really do like like the picture that uh, we discussed about, but there's one, I, just, I think people don't really know much about this. I just want to basically want to talk about this one is that he had an exhibition match this is 1976 a year i was born and um he's fighting a very famous uh, professional wrestler called um uh, antonio inoki 
which is like he's really super super he's still fit he's still alive they did this exhibition match like pro, pro wrestling against boxing and ali uh inoki basically sat on the middle of the ring and he basically waited for ali to come by because obviously if you're already down you he cannot you know punch you basically unless you basically mount him like an mma star which he didn't do so it's a very strange match and i think it was a tie or something this is really so as, as I think it's the only time I've ever actually seen a photo from this match and weirdly enough I just kind of like I just looking at it and I just kind of marvel the fact that it's I'm sure it's so dark in that place and I don't know who how they actually did get the speed fast uh, the, the shutter speed so fast enough to actually get this but I really wish like I had a chance to shoot someone like him I mean, maybe we don't know because it's you know we got May I got like maybe 20 years, 30 years of my life, then we're, maybe we're going to have someone who's going to be as, you know, charismatic and as interesting as Muhammad Ali uh, as an athlete. And we'll hopefully be able to be there to capture, you know, someone like him. So it's very sad that uh, he's gone now. But uh, I guess we have to say yeah, thank you for all the great memories and all the great shots. And Neil Leifer for having uh, such a great photos of him. It's, it's been fantastic. So... If you want to basically see more of Muhammad Ali and like his photos, I think we're going to actually have that link to what uh, Matt was talking about and what I was talking about. Also, but we'll have, um, you can basically search for Neil Leifer and you have a, you'll have you see a lot of um, Ali's pictures on and off the ring. That is it. Did we miss anything else? No, 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 no. In the end, if you're sick of all this niceness and you have an urge for some pain, why not post your photos on Training Ground on Flickr? Just go to flickr.com and search for Big Lens Fast Shutter. It will be a thread for Training Ground every month, and you can basically put your photos there for us. Have a good one, and uh, that's the pretty much the end of uh, Cross Counter. And with that, we end the 56th episode of Big Lens Fast Shutter. Can't do this without you, my beautiful listeners. And obviously, Rob with two Bs, our wonderful producer extraordinaire. Even if you're not as evil as Matt Cohen, please go to our Facebook page and like us by searching for Big Lens Fast Shutter. Better yet, do that and subscribe to our blog at BigLensFastShutter.com so that you won't miss any of our latest and greatest hits. And if you love us even more, please rate this podcast on iTunes. And obviously, if you have that dollar in your pocket, hopefully 10 of them, please go to patreon.com slash blfs to recap facebook blog itunes patreon.com rinse repeat love us more see you next month